0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning, everybody. Oh, what a great day. There's a lot of good things happening at Praise Community Church. I know that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jim and Mary have been in Kansas City for eight days of intense awesomeness and so I know that over the next course of the months, several months I'm sure they'll be just sharing with us uh, what God has been putting on their heart and so I'm op- thankful for the opportunity once again to, to bring the word I uh, don't take it lightly and I know that God has just placed in me uh, each Sunday I get a chance to come up here just a word uh, of encouragement and a word of uh, victory for everybody And so on Wednesday night, we started back up in youth group, and we're we're going through a book called Not a Fan. And this is a book uh, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. It's about being a true follower of Christ versus just a fan of Christ. And if you know what a fan is, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer is what it means. Um, As you can see this time of the year during football season, the fans begin to come out. They got their jerseys on, and they got their face painted, and they're just going crazy. but And they use the word we a lot, don't they? Like if we just would have played better, we would have beat the Vikings. Or if we just would have caught that last pass, we would have beat the Packers. I'm thinking, I didn't realize you played on the team. And so that's a fan. Uh, and so. But one of the great things that Jesus says in that book, and that's about all I'm going to share with the book with you, but one of the great things he says when people... Conf- conf- came up to him, he, he said, follow me. Come, follow me. And he says, if you want to go with me, you're going to have to go with me and different things like that. He commanded people to come with him. And we see in Matthew 14, one of, the favorite, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible where Jesus says to one of his disciples, who it's Peter will learn, he says four simple letters, one word, come. He says to Peter, come. He's just giving him a command. And so if you have an opportunity to go follow Jesus, he's always standing there saying, come, come with me, follow me, come beside me. So as we're going to go through Matthew 14 today, I've printed it out for you. It's going to be up on the screen. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to bring it to church with you. Um, It's just a great thing just to have your Bible at church. And so in the future, if, if you want to do that, I think that would be awesome. And so the story is about Peter getting a revelation from Jesus, he sees Jesus walking on the water, which we'll talk about in, in depth here. And when he comes out to him, he looks and he says, "Can I do that?" And 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 Jesus says, "Come." He gets this revelation. And sometimes I think as Christians we get stuck at our initial revelation. We get stuck at salvation. We get stuck that we think that uh, I'm good with Jesus. I'm going to heaven and. That's a good enough revelation for me. That's a great revelation. Going to heaven is good, okay? So, no, it's not overlooked that. But then we get bogged down that we think we need more dedication, more dedication, more dedication. I really believe that we should be dedicated to doing the things of the Lord. But if we just ask God for more and more revelation and act on the revelation that He's given us, our dedication will take care of itself. Get that revelation and then watch your dedication. Increase. And so sometimes Christians get stuck at their initial revelation or they fall back to their initial revelation of just being saved. And there's power in that because you're going to heaven, but there's no power in your immediate future here on earth if you're just waiting to die and go to heaven. There's a whole life to live. And that's where God is going to give us new revelation. So I want you to have a mindset throughout the day here, this morning especially, of walking on the water. In the natural, impossible. Just go home and try to stand, fill up your bathtub and try to stand in there. And if you do stand on top, please come back, we'll have a testimony of this great feat next week. But you, people who see in the Bible, there's only two people that ever walked on water, Jesus, Peter, right? And sometimes people want to take this story of Peter and look and cast on the doubt side. I've never seen any time in any scripture story, sermon, when you Google Peter, uh, the miracle of Peter walking on the water, I never find anywhere where it says, I'm going to tell you the story of Peter sinking. It does, it, that's, not the, that's not the beauty of the story. The, the beauty of the story is that Peter walked on water. There's the aspect of sinking we'll get into, but it's Peter walking on water. That's the miracle. So if we pick up a story in Matthew 14... In verse 15, we see uh the disciples telling Jesus, You need to send these people away. You know, he says, This is the hour, this is a deserted place, it's already late. He goes on to say, You need to give them some time to get out of here, go into the village, and buy themselves some food. So the disciples with five, eight, ten thousand people there that Jesus Jesus had just ministered to, they're saying, we can't take care of these people. Send them now to go find their own, own food. And then Jesus responds by saying, is it up there? Yeah. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And here's where the disciples' butt gets in the way. They say, but we only have five loaves and two fishes. And what does Jesus respond to him? He says, simple, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Bring the little bit that you have, the thing that's caused you to be scared and send all these people home so we don't have to deal with them anymore. Bring that little amount to me. See, they knew they had what they had in the natural, but they didn't know what they had in the spiritual. They'd just been hanging out with Jesus for how many years. And some of the commentaries I've read, they say this happened between a year and a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. Well, can't pick a date, but it's right in the middle. So they'd seen some good things, right? but they still struggled to just realize who they were with and what he had already provided a lot of times. And so God can do a lot with a little. That's this story. As you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you are a direct example of that God can do a lot with a little, right? You're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do today? And God can take you and what you think of yourself, your little bit, and he can do a lot with it. He does it every day. There's certain people that you know that you get home from work and you're like, well, how did I pull that off? You know, God will do a lot with little because we have just a little bit of faith in us. If we just have a little bit, like a mustard seed, we can do a lot of great things. And so, get a picture for yourself of your life. You think you're a nobody? You think you're lowly or whatever you want to say? I say that's good. Get that picture because you're qualified, overqualified to be used in the kingdom of God. That's the thing, that's who people use is because everybody on earth doesn't stack up, doesn't measure up to Jesus in the physical realm. But in the supernatural, same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you, we we more than stack up, we come alongside him. And he said in verse 18, bring them here is what he said to the food. And Jesus said, bring your issue, bring your problem. Bring what you're dealing with, bring it to me. That's what he was telling the disciples. It was more than just food. And then in verse 19, he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed it. I love that. It's like a position that Jesus, that authority of Jesus. You now, I'm standing up here with a microphone. If I took the microphone off, I'm pretty sure you guys could hear me just as well with my, I have a loud enough voice. But there's 5,000 men there. And with all the kids and the women there, 8,000, 10,000 people, Jesus didn't have a microphone. And he's saying, everybody, just sit down. Relax, I got this, right? And so he has him sit down, and he, uh, and he takes the bread, he looks up to heaven, takes the fish, looks up to heaven, and he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples, get this, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. See, as people, we have a part to play in the miracles that God wants to do in our life. He didn't just go poof, and there was just piles and piles and piles. Think about how many piles of fish and bread there would have been. And the disciples would have taken a little bit, handed it out, come all the way back to the crowd of 8,000, pick it up, go out here and hand it. This would have been a long time. But just, that's not how it happened, and we'll see that. And so what Jesus did is he looked up to heaven. And, he's, and he looks to heaven and he says, and he blesses it. And when he says he's looking up to heaven, it means this word to see again and a to see again so this is what we should be doing when we have a problem in our life we have a situation in our life we can turn and take our problem and we can turn to God and we can say I'm going to see again into that place where God has already delivered me from some things in my life that's what he says so he, he takes the natural and he presents it to God and says put your super on this natural what he had in his hand wasn't enough duh right five loaves, five fishes, two loaves, whatever it is. He didn't have enough in the natural. How many people here right now, as you reach in your pocket or your purse or you go home, you feel like you just don't have enough in the natural? Turn to God and say, I see you again, Father God. Let's see what you can do with my little. He lifted his eyes. He saw into the spiritual realm, and he saw from that aspect the limitless supply of God. God has a limitless supply for each and every one of us, whatever it is in your life. Whatever that is, he's inexhaustible, inexhaustible. What's the proper English? How many teachers here? It's one of the two. (laughs) Both. And or, I don't care. He is God at all. A limitless supply is what he has. So whatever your circumstance or your situation, turn to God and say, bless it. Bless my means. Bless my little life, my little existence, my little bank account, my little stash of food. Bless it. And watch him do great and mighty things. And so instead of sending the way we just, when we have people who come to our lives, there's people all the time that need our help, right? And sometimes we don't feel like we can help them. We say we just need to, we need to just bless the little we have. We spend a lot of time cursing the little we have, right? Bless it. Say, thank you, Father God, for what you've given me. and, And offer it back to him. And he blessed that little bit. That's what Jesus did what looks like a little to us is an abundance in the eyes of God verse 20 says and they ate and were satisfied all who were there ate and all were satisfied they just didn't get a tail of a fish and a crumb of bread they were ate and they were satisfied just think of thanksgiving coming up you eat and you're satisfied and a half an hour later you're like oh why did I do that right But this is what happens with Jesus. He gives them enough to eat and be satisfied. And we know from the story that there was an abundance left over as well, right? That's what God does. He takes the little we have. We offer to him in a blessing. He gives it to us, and he gives us an abundance left over. That's Father God to me. He's full of promises. He's full of abundance. We're afraid to ask sometimes. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. The food multiplied in the hands of the disciples. Think about that. I just mentioned that, did I not? the disciples took exactly what Jesus blessed, five and two, Father God, and he turns around and he hands those back to them, those same things. And they took it, and they walked through the crowd of 8, 10,000 people, and they distributed everything. And as they took something out, it just kept going. It didn't dwindle. That doesn't make sense in the natural. It took the faith of the disciples to pull off this miracle, it takes the faith and it takes us believing and trusting in God to pull off miracles in our lives as well, does it not? God uses people. I like this story about the gentleman who is shipwrecked and he's bobbing in the water. Maybe you've heard this one. And he's out there in the middle of the ocean and he's like, Father God, save me. And a boat comes along and the boat says, Here, can we help you? He's like, No. I'm waiting on God. And then all of a sudden a plane comes by and drops him down a raft. And he's like, I don't want that. I'm waiting on Father God. So one more time he says, Father God, save me. And a helicopter comes and is like, climb the ladder. We're here to help you. And he says, I'm waiting on Father God. And so the three provisions go away. He dies. He goes to heaven. He's scratching his head. The first question he asked, Father God, why didn't you, send, why didn't you save me? He says, I tried to. I send you a helicopter. I send you a boat. I send you a plane. Those are provisions that God provides for all those things. So when it comes to meeting the needs of hurting people or ourselves, we have a tendency to want to see the end result. Does that make sense? Father God, this is what I want to do, but i got to see the money for it. i got to see the provision for it. And if you can show me that whole grand scheme, how my ministry or how my family is going to turn out in the end, I'll go for it. That's pretty lame. God just says, I'll give you step one. You do step one, I'll hand you step two. And if you get to step two, I'll give you step three. How many people are still at step one in some of the revelations that God has given to you? It's good and it's both not bad. What I mean by that is you should have stepped out with Father God, but I'm telling you what, he still wants to raise you up in step one and get you to step two. The revelation and the promises and the words that he's given you, it's still alive and well. It doesn't die. God does not have a paper shredder. Sorry. He's going to provide for you. Just figure out what step one is and get it done. So after the great miracle, he tells them to get in their boat and go to the other side. And this leads us to Peter walking on water. Like I said, I never have ever read anything about I'm going to tell you children here in Sunday school about Peter sinking. It's always about Peter walking on water. You know, and the kids come home like, man, I learned something cool today. Peter walked on water. They don't really talk about sinking too much, but it's part of the story. There's a ton of great stories, but when I think of this story, I get a mental picture. I, I can see Peter walking on the water. It's amazing. It's a great story. Immediately he said to the disciples, get into the boat. And go, and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He had to constrain them, it says in, in the King James. What does that mean? He had to basically force them. You get in the boat. And they're like, why would, he, why would Jesus need to force you to do anything? It's because as fishermen, I'm sure Peter's standing on the shore going, any other day would be a good day, but we got, look at that. There's a storm brewing. I know what it's like to be out on that particular lake when those particular clouds are rolling in. This isn't good in the natural but since the Savior, God himself, has constrained me to get in the boat, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go to the other side of the lake. And that's what Jesus said. Get in the lake, get in the boat, and go to the other side. He didn't say just get in the lake and I'll catch up with you later. He didn't say get in the lake and go to the middle of the lake and drown. He says get in the boat, go to the other side. He gave him clear instructions, did he not? So they get in the boat and they head to the other side. You see, the first step in, in, to walking in the miraculous is that you need to surrender your own self to God's will for us? That's what we need to do. So, this great story is about getting into the boat. And we'll see you later, it's about getting out of the boat. They obeyed, they obeyed Jesus and they went against their natural instincts. Hmm, but that's hard. Yes, it is. That's hard. Yes, it is. Sometimes we can just talk ourselves out of God, we can reason. With God, we can reason with Jesus standing on the shore while the boat's there. And how many people know this, me included, that if you reason long enough with God, you'll talk yourself out of it, and you quit and you won't get in the boat. Reasoning. There's nothing in the Bible that says we need to reason with God. God speaks, we do. Whatever that is in our life. So I encourage you today to put yourself in the boat, put your whole story, your life story, whatever it is, throw it in the boat, climb in the boat and see where you're going to go. And then, when the opportunity comes, we can step out on the water. He told Noah to build a boat. That was crazy. People come around mocking him and laughing at him. What are you building the boat for? I was told to. And this is exactly how I'm going to build it. This wide, this tall, this high. This is who I'm going to bring with me. This is who's, apparently you're not coming with me, because you're not on my list. It's for you to figure out later when you're banging on the side of my boat when I'm floating away. But the thing is, what did God tell you to do? Did he ever tell you to build a boat? Dr. Haas, build a boat. (laughs) You know? He tells us things. These disciples had reasons in the natural not to obey Jesus. I don't think any different than anyone here today. Anybody. We all can find a reason in the natural not to obey the words of God. We can Today, write down, I'm encouraging today, if you're sitting here and you've got a pen and you're taking notes, write down some of the things you're doing in the natural and keeping you from following after Jesus, keeping you, that keeping you from obeying him. Just write it down. Go home and put it in front of you and go, hmm. And just ponder that. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. Like I said, Jesus instructed him to go to the other side of the lake. Many times we want God to give us step one, like I said, through step end. Show me the path. And God's just like, Mm mm-mm. If you're obedient a little, I'll give you much. Just step out, he says. Show me the end result. And God's like, there's no end result for you right now. It's just step one. And God is going to give us one step at a time, and we're commanded to, to do step one. I like what it says in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17, 3 and 4. And I don't have that scripture up here, but you can read it later. And Elijah's told by God, he says, go to this, this brook, the brook Cherith or Cherith, whatever it's called, and I will sustain you there. He's on the run. I will sustain you there. The ravens will feed you, and there's a brook there that will give you water, and you just go. Now, think about this. If you have a dream tonight, and, and, and God tells you to go somewhere that and some birds are gonna feed you until the next step, you'd be like, seriously, what did I eat before I went to bed, right? What did I watch before I went to bed? And so he says, Go here, I'll take care of you. And what does Elijah do? He goes there and there's the ravens. They're waiting there for him. They got, his, they got his food, they got his supply. And so he stays there. And what happens? A drought comes and all that supply dries up and God says, okay, now go to this widow's house in the town of Zarebeth, and she will sustain you. So he shows up, he follows, he goes, he shows up and there's this widow there. If You're not familiar with the story. She's got one meal left. Her and her son, one meal left. And, and Elijah says, I'm supposed to come to your house. You're supposed to take care of me. And what does the lady do? Okay. She she sees the man of God. She listens to what he has to say. And from the time those two are together, they're sustained. They've, they have plenty. And there's a point in the story where this lady's son dies, and it gives Elijah the opportunity to raise him from the dead. It's amazing. But that whole situation wouldn't have took place if Elijah wouldn't have done step one, and let the ravens feed him, and then step two, go to this widow's house, knock on the door, and tell him what God told her to tell him. You have to go step one, and you have to get to step two. And then you see this amazing miracle of God raising her son from the dead. So where is there for you? Does that make sense? Elijah had to go there to receive his provision. Where is there? You got to go there is what, the, what I'm saying. It'll be there for you there, but you got to start out and go. And it's, to, it's back to the disciples. It's to their credit that they put obedience to Jesus' word above their own judgment. That's what it comes back to. Same with Elijah. He put his obedience in God's word about, above his better judgment. And reasoning with God's never a good thing, like I said. I think we can look at the life of Christ and say, and you can call me Captain Obvious if you want, we can learn a lot from Jesus. We say that all the time. Hmm, that's a good story. We can certainly learn a lot from Jesus. And I agree with that. But sometimes we focus on, these, on the miracles which are good. And we realize we only focus on the miracles at times and not the moments. We don't focus on the moments where Jesus Prepared himself to pull off these great feats. Does that make sense? So the, the scripture coming up says this: He goes into prayer after a long day at the office, so to speak, ministering and praying for 8, 10,000 people. So Jeff, Jeff and I and Jim are up here. we pray for 10, 15 people the first service. And we're like, I'm thinking, I'll be honest with you, OK, got another service at 10:45, right? Natural minds thinking that, you know, as, as, I'm done, as we're done praying, I think that. Jesus wasn't thinking that. He's like, I got 8,000 people, I'm going to pray for 8,000 people. And so when he's done praying for the 8,000 people, what does he do? He constrains his disciples to get in the boat. He tells them, you're going to the other side of the lake. He comes back to the people. It says he dismissed the crowd, and then he went alone to pray. So of all this stuff, Jesus takes care of the crowd with the food. He takes care crowd of his disciples by giving them a word. He comes back to the crowd. He takes care of them and says, I dismiss you. He plays usher. He sends the people forth. And then what does he do? Does he go take a nap? Does he just shut her down because he's tired? He's had a long day? Sounds good right now, doesn't it, Dave? I can pick on Dave. He goes and he prays. He goes and intercedes for his disciples who are out in the boat, who have obeyed him. So the thing is, when God gives you a word, he doesn't say, here's your word, Jeannie, have at her. He goes into the mountain and he prays for Jeannie. He knows that they're in the situation, the storms of their life, and Jesus and God never gives up on you. Same person, never gives up on you. He goes into his prayer closet and he intercedes on my behalf, on the disciples' behalf. And it says, the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. Contrary, it says in the NIV. Natural things will come against you. They will blow against you the wind, the waves, the sea. They'll hammer against you. And all they had to do to save their lives in the natural was just put the oars in the boat and float to the nearest shore that the wind was blowing them towards. How many times have they done that, the disciples in the past, before they come along and met Jesus? They're out in the ocean or or the lake. A big storm comes and hits them. They're like, well, this is useless Let's just turn our boat and float to the nearest pot. They've done that hundreds of times, I bet you. But at this particular time, according to the scripture, it was way into the next morning, and they're still rowing. That's the amazing thing about these guys. They knew that if they just turned around, they could take the easy way out and float to shore, but they were still going after what Jesus had given them. So to their credit, continuing, here's the thing, continuing to act on the word of Jesus gave them even at the risk of their life, they continue to act on God's word, and that's the thing. When you step out in faith and you act on God's word, you're going to get some wind. You're going to get some pushback. You have the choice: do I continue to act on the word that God gave me, or do I just fall back into my comfortable self and float to the nearest shore and call her good for the day? And how many people have done that? Me too. Call her good for the day. I'll pick it up again tomorrow, and we just don't keep contending. Keep rowing against that thing in your life. So do you know where, where that is today for you, a miracle or a word that God's given you? Is, is he given us a word in the past? Write it down. Think of something today when you go home, where you're out with having brunch with your family, or maybe you're going to catch a football game. Before you do that, think, Father God, I know you've spoken many words to me, and write one down that maybe you just have kind of like, if I wait long enough, it'll go away. Just so write it down. If you have a word from God already, pull it out, dust it off, put it before you, don't compromise, and don't give up. God's given every one of us a word. Every one of us. You say, well, God doesn't speak to me. He's speaking to you. He speaks to everyone. He speaks to the unbeliever then convicts their heart of their unrighteousness, and he calls them into repentance and salvation. So he's speaking to those people. That's the only way you get saved and then he speaks to the believer through the person of the Holy Spirit all the time. It's so whether my life has been clouded up with all the junk that I've added to it and I can't hear him or I choose to ignore him. As we learn from Peter, it's okay that we do that at times. He doesn't kick us to the curb. We just have to pick up that revelation. We just have to pick up that word, dust it off, put it before us and say, Father God, I'm gonna do it. And Father God's like, I've already anointed that word. Step out of the boat, my friend. Many people miss their miracles because when when the going gets tough, they head for the wrong shore. They just float back. I said that. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Wouldn't that be awesome? This stinks. We're all going to die. It's terrible. they are not thinking about, man, wasn't Jesus just the guy that just fed like 8,000 people? Surely he's coming. Wouldn't he be peering over the side of the boat going, where is he? He's on his way. They're not. They're probably not even rowing some of these guys. They're probably like, this is impossible. And they're just clinging to their, into their life. The fourth watch was early, so they'd been out there probably 8, 12 hours. And it says, in, in Mark's account of the same incident, it says that when Jesus came to them, he made it as though if he would have passed by. You know what that means? He was just going to cruise on by them. Because where did he tell them to meet them? other side. So here comes Jesus in that version, of that translation. I'm going to the other side. And then what happens? Help. It's a ghost. They don't even help. It. They don't even yell, it's the Lord. They yell, it's a ghost. And Jesus stops. And he says, if he didn't call out to him, he would have kept going by. Isn't that great? No matter how pathetically you call out to Jesus, he hears you. I said earlier, if you're face down in a pit, and you're in the bottom of the worst thing you could possibly do, and you can't speak, and you have one little pinky finger, that's all you got to do, just write Jesus in the mud. That's good enough to call out to him. You call out with him with whatever words that come to your mind, and you call out to him with whatever you got, and he will hear you, and he will answer you. Every time. We'll see that. The lesson for us is that Jesus is always there, But he doesn't manifest his power without us placing a demand on him or reaching out. Just don't assume. A teacher told me what assume means one time. I won't share it with you today. But here's the thing. Don't assume, but call out. He's always with you. He's present as a person of the Holy Spirit. He's always with you, but you need to call out. It's okay to say, Jesus, save me after you've been saved. It's okay. It's not that you're re-being born again. One time for me, I believe, it's just saying, Jesus, save me. Help me out here. And so as we go forward, we see, uh, notice also that Jesus was completely on top of the very thing that was trying to take the disciples out. Hmm, anyone else have a situation like that in their life that you feel like you're in a situation that the enemy's trying to take you out? Maybe you've been in there not too long ago. Maybe you can recall one. Jesus was on top of that situation, the one that was trying to take you out. And he's saying, come out on top of here and see what it looks like from my perspective. It's not as bad as you think it is. When you get a vision of what God's vision is through the eyes of Jesus Christ, it looks way better. Remember, this was a storm. It wasn't glass water like you drive by Big Blue on a nice morning, and it's just like, oh, that's so cool, and I can see my reflection. This was a raging storm. This was it. And they were out in the middle. It wasn't like they were two feet from shore and ankle deep water and Peter's like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. Because if I fall, I'm only going to fall in about a half a foot and I'll be just walk right to shore. It's out in the middle of a lake. I don't know how deep the lake is. I'm sure it's over their head. Realize that God is more than enough and helps shrink our problems down to manageable sizes. What looks huge, God will give you step one on how to ch- tackle that. And when we're faithful in step one, he'll give us step two. And throughout time, however long that may be, depending on how much time and intimacy that we want to give to Father God, he'll shrink that problem down to something that doesn't look so big. Cancer, debt, unfaithfulness, he'll take your problem, he'll take your situation, and if you give it to him, he'll give you step one how to get through that, and then he'll give you step two, then he'll give you step three. The disciples desperately needed Jesus to come and help them. That's what it says when he came to them. They were terrified. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. Cry fear. If that's all you got left, scream, help. I've blown it. I'm a terrible person. I don't care what you yell. Just as long as you're focusing and pointing it at Jesus, he's going to hear you. You're not a terrible person in any way. I wrote this note down. I didn't get to share it in the first, but I wrote this. People aren't skeptics because of lack of miracles. There's a lack of miracles because people are skeptics. If you don't believe that Jesus can do stuff, then you're not going to walk into a chance for him to do a miracle in your life. Think about that. Every day is a chance for God to do a miracle in your life. Step out and let him perform. So Jesus spoke to him and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I wish there was parenthesis where he said, for the 57,000th time. You know, that's, that's my own version. I would write that in the Bible. Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid, comma, Mark. You feel your own name in your Bible. Jesus told his, you can write Mark if you want in your Bible too, so it makes you feel better. Jesus told his disciples to be of good cheer before he stilled the storm. Think about that, be of good cheer. What does it say in John 16, 33. In this world you will have trial, you will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good cheer. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. What's the world that the the disciples are dealing with right there? That world is a brutal storm. And in that particular moment, he says, be of good cheer, take heart. It's me! The guy that was just over there feeding people. That you took part in the same miracle. Remember me? Yeah, they did remember him. And Jesus answered, Lord, if it is Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. Isn't that great? He says, can I come out there and do what you're doing? You know, Probably not the best question because sometimes we give questions to God. Like if I do, God, I got something for you. I'm going to bargain with you. I got two choices. I want you to pick between choice A and choice B. And whichever one you choose, I will do those ones. And God's like, I got choice C, none of the above. That's the one I want you to do. Well, what is none of the above? I don't know. Just step out of the boat. We try to box up God and say, here's, here's your two choices, God. I'm living for you. But those are only two choices you can choose from, God. And God's like, they're not even on my radar. Maybe choice A and choice B are like two years down the road. It's choice C, none of the above, that you've got to let God choose for you, and you can get it done. So he says to him, come. So Peter got out in the boat and walked on the water and he came to Jesus. And that word come, think about that, came from the lips of the creator of the waves, of the wind, of the sea. So the guy that says, come out here, is the guy that created those very things. And what the enemy was trying to do was take something that God created. That's Don't see that every day, do you? Or we do see that every day. That guy, that the enemy Satan will take the things that God created and try to destroy with them. And that's what happened here. He says, come. And therefore, with one word, he had enough power in it to overcome all the natural laws which would have prevented Peter from walking in the water. One word allowed him to accomplish it. Peter shouldn't have walked on the water. Think about it. Hmm, In the natural, it's just something that doesn't happen. Think about this. If you're in a boat, have you ever been in a boat and you try to get on the dock and it kind of spreads away from you and then all of a sudden you fall in the water? Was there ever a time where you just hovered on the water for like five seconds like, ooh, that was close. And then you just step onto the dock. No, what do you do? Usually with your, if you're a woman with a purse or a cell phone or, you know, it doesn't just happen when you're just like hanging out in your bathing suit, right? It wouldn't be so bad. So, G, so Peter should have just been like, boom, to the bottom. But he's not. He's up on the waves. He's up on the situation. He's up on the circumstance that's trying to take them out. And there's 12 of them in the boat, only one of them decides he wants to, follow, to go out there. What were the other 11 doing? Peering over the side, were they scared? Throwing up, I don't know, hunkered down, whatever they were doing. They certainly didn't call out to Jesus, said, can I come out there? I guarantee you, if, if they would all stood up and said, can we all come? Have at her. He just fed 8,000 people with five loaves, two fishes. It's amazing. And by stepping out and truly following Christ, we can stand above the storms. That's the, that's the point here. you got to step out of the boat. Get in the boat. Step out of the boat. Commands of Jesus. You need to get in the boat and go across there, but it looks bad. It's getting it. I got your back. Now look, we're in a storm. Come and watch from my angle. And that's what Peter does. And God's no respecter of persons. There's no one holy enough in the world or perfect enough in the world in all their actions that can walk on the water except for Jesus. And so no matter where you're at, no matter how good or bad you think you are, he's given us the opportunity through relationship with him to speak those words. Can I come out there with you, Jesus? Yes, come. It gets even better or worse depending on how you look at it. The come was spoken by the one who made all things. Likewise, any word, get this, Any word spoken to us by God carries in itself the anointing and power it takes to fulfill that word if we release it by believing and acting on it. Any word spoken to us by God in itself. He doesn't give you hearsay, false words. I'm trying to think of the word my dad used to... The word he used to say to me about that. It's like, does your word have meaning? So it's not an empty word. God does not give you an empty word. When God gives you a word, it's a word. Capital W, as in Jesus was the word. And he came as flesh and dwelt among us. The word was on top of the waves right there. As long as Peter focused on Jesus, he walked on water. As soon as he didn't, he looked around, he sank, Proverbs 4.27 says, don't look to the left or the right. The NLT version says, don't get sidetracked. So when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and he cried out two great things. Three great things. Lord, save me. Think about that. Here he is. Alongside his Lord and Savior. The man that has done many miracles. And he's doing something that nobody has ever done in the history of mankind. He's walking on water. And then he takes his eyes off of the only one that could sustain him up there, the only one that can sustain you in your life. He takes his eyes off him for a split second, and what happens? He starts to sink. Does he go to the bottom? Is he like a rock? Because that's what happens. I've never heard anyone say, like I just talked about, we were at the lake, and Jeannie fell in, and it was amazing. She started to sink. No, oh, Jeannie went down, and she came up, and pff, her glasses are gone, and her makeup's running, and it's like, it's an ordeal. Jeannie would have loved it if she just went into, down to her ankles and just slowly started to sink, and then after Rick started laughing, he helped her out, right? <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. You sink. But he says, he started to sink. Think about that. This is pointing us, and get this. That when we are walking in the miraculous things of God, we don't lose faith all at once. Does that make sense? You're after Jesus and you take your eyes off the Lord for a second and you, you slowly get away from Jesus in an area of your life. And you can see it slipping away at times. And you sink. You just don't all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, you know what, I feel like I'm going to have an affair. It's something that erodes into your life and eventually you are in the midst of it. It just doesn't happen. You can take that with all sorts of uh, things in your life. It, and so as we take our eyes off of Jesus, it's easier to take them off more and more again, and we sink, right? The great thing about Peter is he says what? Save me. Lord, save me. I think of Matthew, is it Matthew Perry, or uh, what's the guy that writes the, the movie, Big Mama movies? Tyler Perry. It's like just screaming out like her. Lord, help me, mama. Help me, Jesus. You know, whatever you got. That's what he says. Lord, save me. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-huh. And he's sinking. He picks him up and he puts him in the boat. And Jesus went on to explain in the next verse that the problem with Peter's little wasn't his little faith. It was his unbelief. He says that to him. He says... If I get there, is it up there? And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It wasn't that he didn't have any faith. He had faith. He had little faith, it said, but it didn't preclude him from having any faith. He didn't say you have no faith. You're going to the bottom. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It says, uh, and I have the scripture written down about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, if you have faith of mustard seed, it's a little. You just have to have a little faith. Sometimes we try to think we have to have this big, giant, hairy, massive faith, and when we get to this point, we'll see miracles in our life. We'll see Jesus show up more in our life. You don't have to do that. You just have a little faith. Your faith will grow with him. You've been given the measure of faith of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. It's huge but in your little pea-sized brain, in my pea-sized brain, it might seem like little faith. And this is what he's saying. You have little faith. Why did you doubt me? If you wouldn't have doubted you with little faith, you'd still be standing on the water. So don't get into thinking that you don't have enough faith to hear from God and receive a miracle. When we entertain things of the enemy, they move in, we become sensitive to the things of Satan and our heart becomes hardened to the things of God and we begin to sink. That's what happened took his eyes off of Jesus, focused on the problems, the situation, circumstances, started to sink. But he did the one important thing, that when you're sinking here today, maybe you're sinking, maybe you feel like you're sunk. You're not. If you're sinking right now, reach out your hand and say, Jesus, save me. First time, seven millionth time, maybe you've been living for 60 years and you count 365 times 80 and you figure, man, I've done that every single day. Okay. He doesn't get disgruntled or disappointed. Peter said, Peter had faith. If no faith had been present, he would have sunk all at once. This illustrates that the entrance of fear and the exit of faith doesn't happen instantly, it creeps in and it slowly takes over your life. That's what happens. Jesus immediately, it says in verse 31, reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, You have a little faith. Why did you doubt? It's amazing. And it wasn't his lack of faith, it was rather his unbelief that Jesus was doing this. It says this in Matthew 17, 20, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. Think about that. A little bit of faith. If you have a little bit of faith in the world, you're going to tend to do what the world tells you to do. If you have a little bit of faith in God, Things are going to get better. Your faith will grow. It'll be big. A mustard seed, a mustard seed, grows into a big tree. Peter stayed on top as long as he was looking at Jesus, but unbelief came through his natural sense, senses, and we, and we go on from there. The closer we get to Jesus, think about this: the closer you get to Jesus, the more dependent on Him we need to become. You just you just can't get to a point where you say, "That's enough. I got enough Jesus. I've I've reached the mark. Paul says I'm I'm shooting for perfection. I'm not there yet, but I'm shooting for it. Keep going. So no matter where you are in your life, calling Jesus to save you, there's power in the name of Jesus. I said that earlier. We go to the. I, Cassie and I have a nursing home ministry at the I O F home. Jeannie comes with us. Teresa Vanzani came with us with Cassie last time. And I tell you what, there's many people there that have problems with their memory, Alzheimer, dementia, whatever you want to say. And I tell you what, whenever Cassie or Junior someone says, uh, whenever they sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, almost every one of those people, no matter where they are mentally, sings that song. There's power in the name of Jesus. They don't remember anything else. Jesus loves me, this I know. They remember that. Where they heard it, I don't know probably a long time ago. But I tell you, the whole place perks up and then you can go back to speaking on something else and three quarters of them, maybe half of them, tune you out again. Power in the name of Jesus. It has power to cut through anything. Let me just finish with this. Satan doesn't throw doubt on God's ability to perform but on people's ability to receive. He will tell you that you will fail even when God says come. Does that make sense? He will tell you to stay when God says go that's what the enemy will do God says go and the enemy says you better play it safe stay in the boat as we finish here today I'm going to finish with this Peter never would experienced the miracle of walking on water if he hadn't gotten out of the boat never got into the boat never got out of the boat are you waiting to act on a word from God are you hunkered down in your boat we have to get out of the boat before we can walk on water Maybe you're stuck on the shore reasoning. Jesus had to constrain him to get in the boat. There must have been some reasoning there with Jesus. If you're reasoning with God, bad. Don't reason with God. To be able to do this, you need to form a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because when you do, then he will download in you the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit that allow you to receive those words from God and allow you to step out above the storm of your life. What looks bad in the natural is nothing for your Savior Jesus Christ when you, when you call out to him, when you stand with him. He'll rescue you from drowning. He'll put you on top. Because Peter had a relationship with Christ and even though he was prone to taking his eyes off the Savior and beginning to sink, Jesus never abandoned him. Jesus never put his foot on Peter's head and send him to the bottom. Pfft. You blew it. He's never done that. He's never going to do it to you. What did he do? Jesus saved me. He even said, you've got faith, but you doubted me. But I'm going to put you in my boat, and I'm going to calm the storm. And only one version of the Bible says, and they all went to the other side. And when they got to the other side, what did they do? They preached the word, and got people healed. There was a reason for them to go over there. There's a reason for you to step out of the boat and get above your storm right now because God has got a purpose and a plan and a mission for your life. Every one of you. He's given you a word in the past. He's given you one today. He's going to give you one in the future. Take those words, write them down, put it before the Lord and say, I'm ready. Don't give them option A. Don't give them option B. Say, Father, see none of the above. You pick. I'm going. i watch Him bless your life. Amen? Father God, we thank you so much for this great opportunity to serve you. Father, we thank you that no matter where we are in our life, whether we're sinking or we're standing tall, maybe there's someone here today that is completely sunk. They don't know you, Father God. And Father God, you're speaking to them right now. They're telling you, Father God, that they want to be part of your family. They want to be a child. So I encourage those people here today just to speak to Jesus today to say, Father God, I receive you. I thank you that you died for me, that you rose again, and I'm your child, and I'm going to live for you. For those here today that are sinking, Father God, I thank you that you give them the courage right now to reach out their hand and say, Jesus, save me. And as they put out their hand, you once again pick them up and you put them in the boat. And Father God, I thank you. It's your power, it's your love, it's your mercy, it's your joy, it's your kindness. It allows us to break the addictions in our life, whatever they may be. And you set us free, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.